Hi, this is Joel Knox from the Vineyard Church in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad that you're interested in our podcasts. Our media is available to you free of charge, and it always will be. But if you'd like to help us out, you can go to our website, vineyardbrenham.org, and make a donation there. We'd appreciate it very much. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you snuck in late, the reason that the lights are down is not just so that we can turn the spotlights on up front and get everything really hot, because they are kind of hot. But the, the focus for the evening is to focus on the cross. That's why it's in the middle of the stage. That's why all the lights are on it. Good Friday is about the cross. That's when Scripture tells us that Jesus was crucified and His body was put in the tomb. And we've come together to reflect on that and, and, and remember, to think about what it was like for those, those disciples who heard Him say that, I'm going to rise again on the third day, but they saw him die. And there's, there's something about when somebody dies, that finality that I've found out today that a, that a, a friend of ours had, um, had a sister, and we knew her growing up, and, and uh, she had cancer, and she'd been struggling for some time, and, and uh, today... She gained a reward. And I don't know, it's just something about when, when someone dies, we, we, there's that finality. We know that that's the end, at least in this life. And for if, they, if they trust Jesus, then after this life, there's hope for the next life. But, but there's still that finality of someone dying. Well, when that... That, that Good Friday, that first Good Friday, the disciples, they didn't know what was coming next. They just knew that their friend had died. And they were fearing for their lives. They had, had no idea whether the, the, the Roman authorities would come beating down their doors and, 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 and put them on display just like they had done Jesus. And so, so if, if you can imagine tonight what that was like, it makes the hope of the resurrection that much more sweet when we get there on Sunday. So tonight I'm going to be reading out of the book of Luke. If you, if you have your Bible, I don't know if you, you probably can't read it. Um, and uh, I, it was, there was so much. Uh, Luke is a rather wordy dude. And, and uh, I was going to try to copy the, the, the words and get them up on the screen, but I, I was my slides were getting longer and longer and longer. So so if if you can just try to follow along. If you have the Bible, maybe on your phone, you could follow along there. But I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and I'll be in the book of of Luke chapters 22 and 23. So if you can follow along, hopefully I'll, I'll read well enough that you can that you can catch everything. If you want to follow along, you're welcome to do that. Luke chapter 22, verse 1. The festival of unleavened bread, which was also called the Passover, was approaching. 
the leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived, and when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, that's when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. Then the time came. Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you, now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and His people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays Him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? And then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, In this world the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be the servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. Just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. When you have repented and turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you 
and even die with you. But Peter said, but the Lord said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you out to preach the good news, and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and a traveler's bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. And he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet not, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, Get up and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Then the other disciples saw what was about to happen. They exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous, dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you would come to me with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me at the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when, your power, when the power of darkness reigns. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down around it. And Peter joined them there. And a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. And finally she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. And after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No man, I am not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord looked, turned and looked straight at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, Prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. 
At daybreak, all the elders of the, the people assembled, including the leading priests and the teachers of the law. Jesus was led before this high council, and they said, Tell us, are you the Messiah? But He replied, If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the place of power at God's right hand. They all shouted, So you are claiming to be the Son of God! And He replied, You say that I am. Why do we need other witnesses, they said. We ourselves heard Him say it. And in Luke 23, verse 1, Then the, the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. And they began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming that He is a Messiah, the, a King. So Pilate asked Him, Are you the King of the Jews? Jesus replied, You have said it. Pilate turned to the leading priests of the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became silent. But he is causing riots by his teaching everywhere he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, he is a Galilean, Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod, Antipas, because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction. And Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about Him and had been hoping for a long time to see Him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on Him and sent Him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and the other religious leaders, along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him and thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged, and I will release him. Now it was necessary for him to release one prisoner to them during the Passover celebration. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and one of the, in one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has He committed? I have found no reason to sentence Him to death. So I will have Him flogged, and then I will release Him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die just as they demanded. As they requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind 
including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, and wombs that have not borne children, and breasts that have not ever nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead to the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to a cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself. If he is really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a sign was fastened above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And save us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until about three o'clock. And the light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, and he was a member of the Jewish high council. But he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took his body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. And they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. That's the crucifixion story. We have the vantage point of, of three other Gospels that tell us a few more details that, that Luke didn't list. 
but I, I think you get the picture that this was, this was something that was really bigger than, than all of them and, and God was, was using this to bring about what we know as, as His will, the forgiveness of our sins. And when you look at, at the four Gospels, you'll find that the largest portion of each book is focused on Jesus' death and subsequent res- resurrection. His death is, is, it was the ultimate cruelty. Crucifixion, I, I, I think we've all know, we all know that it was one of the most gruesome forms of execution that the world had ever known. And it took place publicly so that, that people could see that this person has been condemned to die. And if anyone was, was opposed to, to the rule of, of Rome, they would also use that as a precaution that this could be you. You could be on a cross. I think one of the first things we learn as, as Christians, as baby Christians, from the time that we, we may, maybe start in, in, in Sunday school or, or maybe we go to children's church, is that Jesus died for our sins. The cross, which is this horrible instrument of torture, is the enduring symbol of our Christian faith. I have one that I hang around my neck. Yeah, I've had people tell me, oh, that, that's a beautiful cross. Well, it's, it's, a, it's an instrument of death. And we don't like to think about it like that because you know, it's, it's a symbol of our faith. But it, it, it's also a, a symbol. It was representative of, of death. The rest of the New Testament... The Gospels are telling the story of Jesus and they're telling the Gospel. The majority of of those books are spent explaining what happened on the cross. Well, the rest of the New Testament is, is spent explaining what happened on the cross and what happened with the resurrection. In the first letter of Corinthians... The Apostle Paul said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. Paul also says in that letter that that it's foolishness to the Greeks because who would just give their life like this? I mean, if this man is supposed to be a hero, why did he give his life up like that? And to the Jews... It's a stumbling block. How can this man be our Messiah? And so this message of the cross, it's considered to be foolishness to those who are perishing, who won't believe. But to those of us who are being saved, we know that this message is the power of God. 
The most influential people in the world are known for what they did with their lives. I mean, if you think about it, I, I, I was looking through a list today that someone had written a book that, uh, that listed the 100 most influential people in the world in all of history. And then you start looking at this list, and it's like, wow, I, I wouldn't have thought about that person, wouldn't have thought about that person. But let's just think about the people that we can think about in our lifetime. We can talk about the presidents of the United States. And several people probably come to mind. The things that we think about is what they accomplished during their lifetime. Jesus is known more for dying, for giving up His life. When it came time for Jesus to die, He told His disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. For whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father, my father will honor the one who serves me. It was in death that Jesus fulfilled His purpose in life. And for us, it's in death to ourselves that we discover our purpose. Our purpose is to give our lives and receive His life in exchange for ours. 2,000 years ago, on a night like this, Jesus' followers had taken His body and they laid it in that tomb. For them, their dreams were dead. Some of them had left homes, they had left their occupations, and they had been following Jesus around wherever he, he went for three and a half years. He, he had become their life. And they could not imagine the concept of resurrection. And to them, this was the end. But just as Jesus died on that fateful night, in order for there to be a resurrection, something has to die. In order for us to experience resurrection life, we have to die to ourselves. We have no hope of resurrection or of a living and empowered resurrected life if we do not die to our selfish desires and learn how to trust God with our lives. We have to trust Him with our dreams and our families and our provision and even our love. But before we can do that, we first have to die. Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. The Apostle Paul told the Colossians, since then, 
You have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Jesus, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Tonight we're going to take communion. Communion is an institution of the church and it focuses on the the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus.